Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Morning, so glad you're with us. My name's Rob. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosspoint. And today, uh, we are just starting a new teaching series And the series is called Body Building. And no, it is not a series about physical fitness. We will not be oiling up any bodies this morning. Uh, This is a uh, series about spiritual fitness. And no, we're not just going to be talking about your spiritual fitness. We are going to be talking about our spiritual fitness together as the church. You see, here's the thing. Christ Jesus has a body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Let's pull it up. Here's what it says. Now you, this you, God's people, are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The church is Christ's body here on earth. We are the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus here in this world, and Jesus himself is the head of the church. Now, I'm pretty confident that a number of you in the room today have made New Year's resolutions to get back to the gym, and to get back into shape. Pretty confident. I won't do a show of hands. Um, And the reason why is, uh, as it turns out, yesterday, January 12th, was Quitter's Day. The vast majority of people who vowed to make New Year's uh, resolutions quit yesterday. So if you've made it to today, well done. Well done. Pat yourself on the back. Keep going. Uh, the reason why you are doing this, though, is because you want to take care of your body. Listen, we are, we are concerned about our bodies, but Christ Jesus is even more concerned, even more concerned about his body. In fact, he's more concerned than we are. We read this in Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what it says. It says, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Now, if Christ cares about his body, if it's really, really, really important to Jesus to care for his body, then shouldn't we also? Shouldn't it be important to us that we talk about the health of the body of Christ? And more specifically, this body of believers, right here in this part of the the world, in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, this body of believers, Crosspoint Church. So that's what we're going to do over the next four weeks. We're going to be talking about what it means to build up the body of Christ. And this week, we're going to be talking about building inwards through community. But uh, we've got some other topics we're going to be looking at as well. Next week, we're going to be talking about building out on mission. The week after that, we're going to talk about building up through prayer. And then on the fourth week, we're going to talk about building together in service. So I hope you will stay with us as we talk about um, building up the body of Christ. And, and I will say, throughout this series, we are going to be inviting you to respond, to join together as one people to build up the body of Christ. We are not just passing on knowledge. When Jesus speaks to us, he has something to say to us, and we hope that you will join with us as we have this conversation together. Uh, so let's dive into today's topic. We're going to talk about building in through community. Now, if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to pull that out, or a digital device. Uh, you can also pull out your bulletin insert uh, and follow along there, and we're going to have it up on screen. But uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. 
this morning. And I'm going to read that for you in, in a moment. But let me just give you a bit of a background on the book of Ephesians. Uh, it, especially if you're, if, you're, if you're new to the Bible and new to the New Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, there are a number of letters that were written to churches and to individuals. And these are called epistles. Okay, Ephesians is one of those letters. And it was written by a person, a very significant person uh, in the Christian church and in Christian history. His name was Paul the Apostle. And Paul wrote this letter to a church in the city of Ephesus, the ancient city of Ephesus. And that's why it's called Ephesians. Now, there was a small gathering of Christians that, that lived in this city of Ephesus, a small little church, a little fledgling church. And Paul had a really close relationship with this church. In fact, Paul spent a number of years living in Ephesus. He helped plant this church. He helped to grow it up. And so he loves this church, and he's deeply concerned about this church and its well-being. Now, Paul's not living in Ephesus when he writes. He's somewhere else. But he hears about some of the stuff that's going on in the church in Ephesus, and he's deeply concerned about it because he, he really cares about these people. And one of the things he discovers that it is a church that is experiencing some division, some disunity. And so Paul decides that he's going to write a letter to the church and address one of these critical causes of disunity in this local church in Ephesus. So that's what we're going to read today. We're going to read a part of Paul's letters uh, to the church in Ephesus, and we're going to start in chapter 2 and uh, read at verse 14. So I'll, I'll just read, and you can just follow along. So Paul's talking about Jesus, and he says, He himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. And his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Or through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently... You are no longer foreigners and aliens or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Well, this is the word of God. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, for this great letter that was written by Paul, inspired by your Holy Spirit, and that it still speaks to us today. It still rings true to us today. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take the truth of your word and, and you would plant seeds in our hearts, that you would grow a harvest in our hearts, and you would just do a work in us today. We open our hearts just a little bit today. We open them a crack, or we open them wide open, and we say, God, speak to us, lead us, teach us, challenge us. And we do all this for your glory, because we love you who first loved us. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Okay, so Paul uses an illustration here to describe the church. He says that the church, God's people, it's like a building. And each person who is in the church is like a stone that's used to construct this building. Now, Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. He's the most important stone that's in this building. And, of course, those who followed after him, the apostles, helped form the foundation of this building. But on top of this foundation, Christ is building his church stone by stone by stone by stone, fitting them together. And we are stones that are part of this, this building. The end goal is to create 
this breathtaking, spectacular monument, a community where God can dwell and take up residence. That's the goal. Now, as a kid, I loved playing with Lego. Uh, anybody love playing with Lego as a kid? Oh, come on now. Anyone still playing with Lego as an adult? If I see a box of Lego, I'm like, oh, I got to get me some of that, you know? Move over, kids. Sharp elbows. Get me to the Lego, okay? Um, but when I grew up, I, I mean, I didn't have any of the fancy Lego. It didn't exist back then, okay? I'm that old. I just had a big old bucket of bricks and a few green platforms, right? And that's what we constructed things with. We didn't have Star Wars Lego or Harry Potter Lego or Homer Simpson Lego. Uh, all I had was just this very simple, simple pile. And if you looked at my pile of bricks, you wouldn't be impressed. You wouldn't look at that pile of bricks and go, wow, that's the most amazing pile of bricks I've ever seen in my life. You wouldn't. You'd look at it and you'd say, oh, it's a pile of bricks, right? And if you looked at all those little individual bricks in my pile, you would not be much impressed by those individual bricks because by themselves, they're just little colored individual bricks. But when I put my bricks together, they became something spectacular. I mean, my childhood imagination just exploded, right? I built skyscrapers and houses and airplanes and automobiles and unidentified flying objects, UFOs, right? By themselves, my bricks didn't really add up to much. But when I put the bricks together, amazing happened. And in today's text, Paul is drawing us, drawing our attention to this masterpiece that God himself is building. God's masterpiece here on earth Higher than anything else, more important than anything else on the planet, God's masterpiece, the apple of his eye, his bride that he loves with singular purpose, his masterpiece is us, the people of God, the church. And so today, I am hoping that you will discover what it means to build this masterpiece together to build community and the way we're going to do that is i just want to dive into the text and as i dive into the text i just want to point out three observations that we can learn from the text and after that i want to talk about four applications of what we can do in light of what we've learned so here's the first observation god will break down walls to build a people god will break down walls to build a people you know as i've mentioned Paul's writing to a divided church, and in this church, uh, historically, if I could go back and paint a picture for you, there were two groups of people in this church. There were the Jewish people, so those of Jewish ascent, the Jewish people, and then there were the Gentile people, and the Gentile people were those of non-Jewish ascent. And in the church, the Gentiles essentially were being, were being treated as outsiders. They're, they're being treated as, as second-class citizens. Because you'll remember that the church at this time was birthed out of the Jewish people. Jesus himself was a Jewish rabbi. All of the apostles at that time were Jewish leaders, okay? So it makes sense that they would still feel this sense of tied back to their former uh, Jewish community in many ways. But the challenge is that the Jewish Christians were expecting Gentile Christians to follow practices that were intended strictly for Jews who were living under the law of Moses. That was the issue. And, and one of these practices, one of the, the more challenging practices, was one of circumcision, which you can imagine was a bit of a big ask for adult males, right? It wasn't the best evangelistic strategy for the church at that time. By the way, if you don't know what circumcision is, uh, I would just recommend at the end of the gathering this morning, just turn to the person beside you and say, listen, 
could you explain to me what this circumcision is that he speaks of? Or, and if they don't know, I just go talk to the people in our children's department. Delaney would be happy to help you. What I don't recommend is that you Google it. Just don't Google it. So, so there's this great divide that's happening in the church, and it's a divide between Jewish people and, and Gentile people. And Paul calls it a dividing wall of hostility. You know, as human beings, we're great at building walls. We, we've got this tendency within us, and it's a broken tendency. It's a, it's a sinful tendency to build walls against those who aren't quite like us. Racial walls, economic walls, barriers of education, barriers of age, gender blockades, political partitions. I don't know if you've watched the news lately, but uh, you will know that there's a dispute about a wall that is happening with our American cousins south of the border. Now, that's not a political statement. I just want to reinforce the idea. We are great at building walls as human beings. But Paul says, Paul says that Jesus will break down man-made walls in order to build a people. You see, it was the cross of Jesus Christ that ultimately destroyed this wall of hostility. That's what Paul says. The cross did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. See, here's the thing. You cannot barter, bribe, behave, or buy your way into the kingdom of God. There is only one way into the kingdom of God. There is only one thing that tears down the separation between man and God, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what school you went to. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the blood of Jesus Christ is our VIP access into the kingdom. There is only one way. And so because of that, there's no posturing. There's no one-upping. There's no, I'm better than you. I'm a first-class citizen and you're a second-class citizen. Through the cross, Christ not only breaks down walls, but he's also building a people. See, it was the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3. In the garden, it was the fall of man that led this to the separation between us and God. But it also led to the separation between people, us and each other. But it's, Paul says that Jesus reconciled. He reconciled both Jew and Gentile through the cross. That word reconcile means to join together. It means to bring into alignment. When your bank statement is out of alignment, right, you have to reconcile it. You have to bring it into alignment. It's a, an accounting term. And Paul is saying that of these two people groups, that's what Jesus himself did through the cross of Jesus Christ. How did he do it? By creating a new humanity, a new community of humans, a new way of being human. And in this new humanity, everybody is an insider. Everybody. Paul says that, that through Christ, we are no longer foreigners and aliens. We are no longer outsiders. Instead, we become fellow citizens and we become members of his household. So through the cross, we are included into the kingdom. When we step through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have a passport that says, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, we are adopted into his family. So when we step through the cross, we are not orphans or outcasts. We are sons and daughters of the king of kings. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ does. It's mind-blowing if you really think about it. Don't take it for granted. Reflect on it. Consider it. You are part of God's kingdom and his family, his household. 
You know, the, the movie Han Solo just came out this week on Netflix. Uh, I already saw it in theaters, but I rewatched it uh, uh, this week. And uh, there's this great scene that takes place early on in the movie Solo. So, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, okay? But there is this great scene that takes place early on in the movie. And, and so Han wants to join the Imperial Army, which is not the good army, okay? It's like Darth Vader's future army, okay? So he wants to join this Imperial Army, and he wants to become a pilot, because that's his dream, is to get his own ship and become a pilot. So while Han is enlisting, the recruiting officer asks him this question. He asks him, what's your name, son? And his response is, Han. And so the recruiting officer asks him this. He says, Han what? Who are your people? And Han replies, I don't have a people. I'm alone. Which is actually completely true. Because if you, if you read the backstory, Han is an orphan. He grew up in the streets of Karelia. He has no family. He has no citizenship. He's all alone. So the offer, officer enters his name into the computer and says, Han Solo. And that's how Han Solo got his name. But it's not really a name. It's kind of a lonely name. It's, it's a name without an identity. It's a name without family. It's a name without citizenship. See, this is the power in a surname. You're belonging to something or to someone. And Solo never seems to belong anywhere. As you track through the Star Wars universe and you track his story, uh, he's, he's always portrayed as this loner who's always adrift, kind of a rebel without of a cause. But eventually he learns the value of being part of something bigger and better than himself. And the real turning point in, in the solo story happens uh, when he discovers family in one of the least likely places. He discovers it in a mud pit with a 190-year-old Wookiee named Chewbacca. And in that moment, he discovers, for the first time, family. But he goes even beyond that. Eventually, he discovers citizenship in the Rebel Alliance. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. Jesus did not give his life for us so that we would fly solo. Jesus bled and suffered and died on the cross so that we could belong, so that we would no longer be outcasts, that we would have citizenship, that we would have a family. Jesus breaks down walls, friends, in order to build up a people. That's the first observation. Here's the second. God is building a people and not just persons. God is building a people and not just persons. See, God ultimately, it says in the text here, is building a dwelling place for himself, a place where God himself will live. You know, in the Old Testament, God's presence dwelled in a literal stone building. It was the temple of the Lord, and prior to that, it was, it was the tabernacle. And in the temple of the Lord, nobody had access to God. He was in the most holy place. Only the high priest on certain occasions was able to go into the most holy place and have access to God. But it was really God would come and tabernacle, live among his people. But there was this great distance. And it was localized geographically in a time and place. But now Paul is saying that through the cross of Jesus Christ, we are God's dwelling place. That God dwells in us together through the Holy Spirit. We, the people of God, are the temple of God. 
Now, it's true. It's true that God dwells in each one of our hearts as individuals through the Holy Spirit. That is true. And we can each individually experience the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in our daily lives. But the point that Paul is trying to make here is that the majesty and glory is in this new temple. It's not just in the individual stones kind of doing their own things on their own. But the beauty happens when these stones come together to form one united body. You'll see when you, when you take a close look at the text, you'll see that the word together appears twice in, in the final two verses. Paul says, in him the whole building is joined what? It's joined together. And in verse 22 he says, you too are being built together. Another thing that's worth noting from the entire text here, uh, which isn't always obvious in the English language, but it's very obvious in the Greek, is that every time that pronoun you appears, every time Paul says you in the text, it's not a singular pronoun. It's a plural pronoun. And as a matter of fact, the best way to translate it is not you. The best way to translate it is you all. That's the more direct translation. So Paul's not saying you individuals are all foreigners and aliens. He's saying you all together are no longer foreigners and aliens. You all are being built up together. He came and preached to you all. It's plural. And the point I'm trying to make, the point that Paul is addressing is, is that he, he's talking to an entire people collectively together and not just to persons. He's talking about God building up a community and not just individuals. See, the great misunderstanding we often have is that spiritual growth is a solo experience. But you can have a vertical relationship with God. You can't have a vertical relationship with God. You can't have a vertical relationship with God while ignoring your horizontal relationship with other people. It just doesn't work that way. God is building a people and not just persons. So how does that work? How, how, does, how is God doing it? How is God building his people? What does that look like? Well, that's really what the rest of the book of Ephesians is about, if you read it. And it's a great book, and I recommend that you do read it. But if I could just fast forward a little bit through Ephesians, I want us to discover what this construction project looks like. And as we fast forward a little bit, we'll discover that this construction project is really about healthy and holy relationships. Let me give you an example. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. He's speaking to them, you all. Here's the you all. Here's what he says to you all. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. If we are the stones in the building that God is building, then relationships are the mortar between the stones. How we treat one another in the body of Christ is the cement that keeps us together. And Paul says that this mortar, it looks like humility, gentle words, patient understanding, bearing with each other's burdens. And above all of that, it looks like love. That's the mortar that keeps all of these blocks together. And, and the verse that I looked at, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, it's just one example of what are known as the one another's in Scripture. What are the one another's? Well, throughout the New Testament, you're going to find all of these different commandments that, are, that God has given to his people. And these commandments that he gives to his people collectively, they, they, they are the way that we build up the body of Christ. They're the way that we live together in community, how we relate to each other as members of his new kingdom family. These are the, what the one another's are. And the reason why they're called one another's is because in the verse, they actually say, 
one another, okay? So in your bulletin notes, you can look, and there's a partial list of some of these one another commandments. We're going to have them up on the screen here. Here's what they are, okay? Here's some of these commandments. Of, of, of These are the mortar. This is the cement. What keeps us together? When we're be, be devoted to one another, or we accept one another, or we care for one another, we bear the burdens of one another, we forgive one another, we encourage one another, we spur on one another, we confess your sins to one another, we pray for one another, and we serve one another. Now, I just want to give you a moment, just, just a moment to reflect on this list, and I want you to ask yourself a question. What are the one another's that you need in your life today? If you were to ask God for someone to one another you, what do you need? And I'd ask you this question today as well. Who do you have around you who can do every one of those one another's in your life? See, here's the thing about the one another's. You cannot keep the one another's if you choose to fly solo. You cannot. The truth is, you cannot one another yourself. You need another to one another. You need another to one another. Turn to the person beside you and say, you need another to one another. Go ahead. And, and it's really, friends, it's really difficult to one another another if you're just a spectator in the body of Christ. It's just so, so very difficult. With Crosspoint, we believe that one another community is not something that can happen in a large group of people sitting in rows. It's very, very difficult to do that. Um, it's very, very difficult to do it in 10 minutes after the gathering before you race off for Christian chicken. Very, very difficult to do that. It's nearly impossible to one another. And so if Sunday experience is the sum of your discipleship, you need something deeper. You need something deeper. We believe that one another community is something that happens better in smaller groups of people sitting in circles rather than large groups of people sitting in rows. And at Crosspoint, we call these home groups. For us, home groups are our little intentional bodies of believers who do life together, who study the word of God together, who pray together who live on mission together, and who one another each other. And, and in fact, we think that home groups are so important that we've organized their entire church around them. I don't know if you know that, but if you knew, I, I hope you will discover that, is that we're not a church that just has home groups, and we're not just a church with home groups. We are a church of home groups. It is the way that we organize life together because we believe it is the best way to one another another. It's how we do community together. And this is why we're constantly encouraging you, hey, consider being in a home group. And I'll, I'll just say, I practice what I preach. I am in a discipleship group with some other guys, some of my, some of my men, they're around there. What up, guys? Okay. 
Uh, I'm also with a, uh, I'm going to skip back there. I see that hand. Um, I also got uh, an SPN, a group of pastors that I meet with on a regular basis for accountability and for some one anothering. Okay. It's really important. I need it to maintain my spiritual growth and to continue to be sharpened and, and transformed. And so our vision as a church, right now we've got about a dozen home groups. We want to double that number. We'd love to double that number. We'd love to see home groups in every uh, neighborhood that's in this part of the city and, and, and even beyond. And we have them in, in a number of different places. We want to do that. We want it to be accessible so that for somebody who, who comes and says, I, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm, I want to surrender my life to him. I want to follow after him. That they have accessibility to a discipling community. A group of disciples who are meeting together and who believe it and who are living it out and who can come alongside of them and help them grow them towards maturity. And so we're preparing to do that. We want to see that happen. We want to see more and more home groups uh, emerge because we believe it's the best way to one another, each other. So with all of our hearts, we want to be a people where God dwells by his Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's talking about here. How many of you know that dwelling is different than visiting? I talked about this on Christmas Eve. Dwelling means home ownership. Dwelling means full occupancy. It means that he gets the master bedroom and he gets a set of keys, refrigerator rights, primary access to the remote control. That's what we mean by dwelling. God wants to be the head of household. And when we as God's people, one another, each other, this is the evidence. This is the evidence that God himself is dwelling among us. Jesus is the head of household. We are surrendered under him, and his life is at work within us as his people. Okay, here's the third observation. God's project is a commitment over time. God's project is a commitment over time. You'll notice that Paul says this. He says that you are all being built into a dwelling. He doesn't say you all have been built into a dwelling. And this is a significant difference. The verb tense in the original language is very important here. What it means here is this, is that this is an ongoing work. It is an unfinished project. It's not an event that has simply happened in the past. It is something that God has begun and he's going to continue to do in and through his church. So, so Christ's work in the body of Christ, his building, this magnificent temple, is not something that happens instantaneously. Listen, if you're, if you're going to build anything that's magnificent, it is going to take some time. Uh, take cathedrals for an example. You know, in, the, in, in, the, in Europe, during the medieval era, uh, there were something like 400 to 500 cathedrals that were made. Most cathedrals took over 100 years to build. Can you imagine that? You were there on day one, you know, groundbreaking day, and you die. And then the kids, your kids after that, they die. And maybe if you're lucky, your grandchildren might actually get to see that cathedral built. The cathedral that took the longest to build was over 600 years, and that's the cathedral in Cologne. Over 600 years to build a cathedral. Can you imagine that? But if you look at cathedrals, you look at them and you say, wow, they are amazing. They are gorgeous. Because anything magnificent takes time to build. Building beautiful structures takes time, and it's the same with the body of Christ. If Christ is going to build a beautiful community, it's going to take time. The problem is that we live in an instant age. You know, at the push of a button, I can have instant popcorn. I can have instant oatmeal, right? I can, I can pull out my phone, right? And I can watch live events happening on the other side of the world through my phone wherever I go while driving, okay? 
Now, now for some of you, this is normal because it's always been around. But it's only been around in, in the last, I don't know, eight years. It, it's, it's not new for most of us. For most of us who grew up, this instant life, this instant world did not exist. When I, I mean, when I was in Bible college, I, when I wanted to communicate with my girlfriend, who was Karen, who I married, good job. Uh, okay, so when I wanted to communicate with my girlfriend, okay, she lived 400 kilometers away. So if I wanted to communicate with her, I had to write this thing called a letter, okay? It was on, it's on this, this blank, flat tree that's called paper, right? And I used this thing that was called a pen. And I would write her this letter. And it would take two or three days to get to her. And I would wait patiently for to see if she would write me back, right? And then she would take two or three. So it took a week to get a response, right? That's a long time to wait for a text or a tweet, right? A long time. And if I wanted to call her, in, in the dorms in which we lived, there was one phone, rotary dial, okay? There was one phone. And, and I, would, I, would, I would have to figure out when I think that she would be home. Because I didn't know. There was no way of finding out. Right? I couldn't look at her Facebook status. I couldn't look at anything. And then I would, you know, throw a dart at the wall and then I'd call her. But I could only call her on certain days because, there were, you know, I didn't know when she would be home. But more than that, there was a lineup of other boys wanting to call their girls back at home. It was really, really difficult to communicate. There was nothing instant about my relationship with Karen. It took a lot of time. And it took a lot of commitment. You see, the best things in life actually take time. You can microwave bacon, but you cannot microwave brisket. Brisket takes hours, and it's worth the wait. So good. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think that this instant culture that we live in has any effect on how we do relationships with each other? Now, anything that requires time also requires commitment. Think about the cathedrals that were built. I mean, do you think they would finish a 600-year-old cathedral if they weren't committed to building it? I mean, in 600 years, I'm sure they experienced a lot of setbacks, wars, famines, different rulers and leaders with different priorities. They, the only way that they would have finished and completed this cathedral was if they were, in fact, committed to it. And culturally, we live in a culture that struggles with commitment, okay? Just hearing me say that word this morning might even make some of you sit on the edge of your seat and get your hackles up. Oh, the pastor's using the commitment word, you know, because we don't like that C word. I feel nervous just using it. I'm breaking out in a sweat talking about commitment, okay? We have this phenomenon in our culture that's called commitment phobia. We are a commitment-adverse people. And sociologists will tell you that this is getting worse and worse and worse in the emerging generations. They're becoming even more commitment phobic. So we can't commit to long-term relationships. We can't commit to jobs. We disaffiliate from anything that smacks of organization because we don't want to get you know, tied to an organization. Which, I mean, it's understandable to a certain degree. And this is why it's understandable. is, is because we live in a culture now today where we have lots of options. We have more variety, diversity, selection than any other time in human history. And lots of options makes it really difficult to make a decision. Marketers have this term, it's called paralysis by analysis. Uh, there's this, this old experiment that was called the jam jar experiment. And what they did was they, they wanted to see what was the best way to sell jam. And so they went into a, a supermarket and they set up a station with 21 varieties of jam. And most people would assume that by having more varieties, right, 
people are going to be more likely to buy, right? Because there's going to be something that's just, just for them, right? Just the right jam, okay? Um, and so they, they calculated the number of jars of jam that they sold over a period of time when they had 21 varieties. Then they did the same experiment over a period of time, and they just put in a few jars, three different varieties of jam. And what they discovered is, hands down, they sold more jars of jam when they only had three options as opposed to 21 options. And the reason is we have this phenomenon that we're experiencing in our age with so much diversity and so much unity and so many options. It's called paralysis by analysis. There's so many options that we're afraid to actually just make a decision. We're afraid to commit. This is why we experience this thing called FOMO. You know what FOMO is? FOMO is fear of missing out, okay? So it's an acronym, F-O-M-O. Oh, I'm experiencing FOMO, right? So you, you, you get onto Facebook, and you've got 20 people that have invited you to your events, right? And you, you say maybe to all of them, right? And then you finally commit the day before, right? This is why Facebook invites never work, right? Or the day of, you finally commit, and you go to the event. And, and then when you're at the event, you're looking through Instagram and Facebook, and you're looking at all the other events you could have been going to, and you're feeling just this tremendous sense of dissatisfaction. And you're really, really upset. And the reason why is because you're experiencing FOMO. It's like, oh, I'm here, but I could have been there, and I missed out. FOMO is a very real reality of experience. But it's all tied up to the age in which we live in. And so we live in an age where it's very, very difficult to make decisions and to commit. Now, one of the side effects of this consumptive pattern, this consumerist pattern, um, is that there's a tremendous downside. And the tremendous downside of avoiding commitment is that when we never commit in life, we actually miss out on the best things in life. Because as it turns out, the best things in life require something of you in order to obtain them. The best things in life require endurance. They require investment. They require risk. And they require trials as we go through them. Those are the best things in life. They don't happen in an instant. And they will never happen if we are not willing to commit to them. The ironic truth, though, friends, is this. Is that we all make commitments. You make commitments. Even though you don't like commitments, you make commitments. Some of the commitments that you make are intentional. Some of the commitments that you make are unintentional. Okay? So the hour or more a day that you spend on social media is maybe unintentional, right? So you don't wake up in the morning and say to yourself, you know what, today I'm going to blow two hours of my life away going on Snapchat, okay? No, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm, I'm going to set that as a goal. Some, some people maybe do, but nobody wakes up in the morning and does that. Why is that? It's, it's an unintentional commitment. But even though it's unintentional, it doesn't mean that it's not a commitment. You are still committed to that unintentional practice. We all have commitments, whether they're intentional or unintentional. The question is whether or not they are the right kind of commitment. And, and consider this. Are your commitments yours? Or are they commitments that are simply a byproduct of your environment or your culture? Do you own your commitments? Because if you can own your commitments you will discover the best things in life. <coughs> what seems clear from the text today is that Jesus Christ is committed to his body. 
He is committed to us, his people. We are his greatest commitment. And he invites us as the people of God into that same commitment. That's his invitation to us. And Christ's asking each and every one of us, hey, will you commit to building together in community? Can you commit to that? To building up the body of Christ. Well, how do you do that? What, what might that look like? Let's, let's be very, very practical here this morning. Let's shift uh, and talk about four practical ways. How, how, do you, how do you commit to being in community? Well, there are four ways I want to talk about. Here's the first way. I think the first way we can do it is let's, let's just take down the walls. Let's kick them down. What, what if we ask Jesus to take down the walls in our hearts that separate us from other people? You know, the starting point for this change happens inside each and every one of us. It's not what we do at practices or at events and all programs and all that sort of thing. It happens inside each and every one of us. If we've got walls inside of us, Jesus will help us to remove them. And if you ask him, Jesus, would you change me? You know, I, I, I have barriers, the type of people I won't associate with or I won't spend time with or that I'm afraid of or I won't do this. If we ask Jesus, Jesus, would you tear down those walls in our hearts? He will do that. He will do it, and he will transform you through the gospel. He will show you a better way. And to be one church together, we need to take down our walls. We need to take down walls of age, sex, race, education, social status, income. We need to take down those walls. Here's the second way. Take the initiative. Take the initiative. What if you, what if you stepped outside of your comfort zone and stepped into new relationships? Okay, what, what might this uh, kind of courageous step look like? Well, every Sunday, we say to you at the end of the gathering, we say, meet somebody who doesn't look like you. You hear us saying that, right? Well, as it turns out, we, we're actually serious about that. We would love for you to, to, to go and find somebody who doesn't look like you, someone you don't know. Because here's the thing, is I find in myself is that I gravitate to people <coughs> who look like me, who think like me, who like the things that I like, right? But the best things in life are actually when you step outside of that and you meet someone who's, who's actually not like you and you get to know them. So I encourage you, meet somebody who doesn't look like you. Crosspoint, can we do that? Can we meet somebody who doesn't look like us? Or do something even more courageous. This is crazy, I know. But go out for dinner with somebody who doesn't look like you. Or go out for coffee. Or have them over for dinner. Just, out of the, just invite them and say, hey, can we get together? I don't know you. I would like to. This would be cool. Let's get together and have a dinner together. Or even today, um, uh, this, the third way is let's take part. Let's take part. Uh, today we have a converged meal. If you're new here at Crosspoint, I would love to buy you dinner. It's absolutely on the house, on Crosspoint. We would love to have you for dinner for 60 minutes. If you've never been to a Converge event, even if this is your first day here or you're new and you've never been to Converge, come have dinner with us. We would love to get to know you. Could you take part? What, what, if, what if we all decided that we were going to get more connected or take more part? One of the best ways to do that in, in us is in order to build this community is to get involved. You know, one of the great ways that you can get involved is to, to come to the journey. I, I would love to meet you. It's a five-week, uh, Mike has already talked about it, but a five-week experience where we can get together, get to know each other, and get to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. 
What if that's what you did? You took part. Or what if you joined an alpha course? But it's really is what if you took a step forward to do something different outside the comfort zone? Maybe it means serving, coming alongside and joining a serving team. This is how you get to know other people. This is how we build community and we begin to one another, one another. Well, here's the last thing. The final way I would, for your consideration, take it deeper. What if, what if you took the courageous step and you joined a home group? Or even better, what if you took the courageous step and you said, I'm going to launch a hope group. I'm willing to host it. I'm willing to, to take the leadership training and, and, and to, to do my part in helping to build up the body of Christ. You know, because we need, we need more home group leaders. And, and I know in some of our home groups, we have some really great, mature believers in Christ who can make a broader contribution to the body of Christ by launching new home groups. And we need them. We need them. As we continue to grow, we're going to continue to need more and more home groups. What if we did that? What if you stepped out and said, I'm going to take it deeper and, and launch a new home group? But let me finish by asking you this today. Let me invite the band. Maybe you're here today and uh, you've been checking out Crosspoint. Um, you've been coming alongside and you've been listening, you've been paying attention. But you, maybe you're here today and you say, I am Han Solo completely. I am without a people. I'm without a family. I feel separated from God. I feel separated from the people of God. But I want to come home. I want to belong. I feel like I'm, I'm adrift, morally adrift, without an anchor. Uh, I feel distant from God. I don't know how to pray. And I would say to you this morning is this. Did you know that Jesus came into the world to break down the wall of separation between you and God? And that you can begin again and you can have a relationship with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And, it, and it's really not that difficult. There's, there's nothing more difficult than just simply turning your heart toward God and saying, God, I, I want you to save me. I can't save myself. I can't bribe my way. I can't barter my way. I can't do anything to earn your favor, but I know that because of Jesus, I can give my life to you and I can be forgiven and I can be saved. And maybe that's you today. Maybe today is the day where you will make that decision for the very first time and you say, I, I want to surrender my life completely to Christ. I want to belong. I want to be part of something bigger. I want to be part of his great kingdom movement and his family. And all it takes today is for you to pray and to surrender your life to Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray. And maybe today you could just pray along with me. Can we pray together? Let's pray. God, I am tired of living my life solo. God, forgive me for all that I've done. And invite me and take me into your family. 
are my only hope. Father, I thank you that your word says that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thank you that through the cross of Jesus Christ, you've made me again. And that you wait as a father with arms open wide for your kids to come back home. God, for whoever prayed that today, I pray that uh, you would surround them with people who can help them grow discover what it means to be a soldier or a follower of you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That through the cross of Christ, we are all sons and daughters together. We together are the temple of God, where the worship of God exists in its fullness. Not because of what we've done, but only because of what you've Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.